Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. I don't think we've ever had a PR firm on the podcast, but they certainly play an integral role in the art world and behind the scenes are imperative to promoting different brands, companies, and other organizations. So in this week's episode of the podcast, we wanted to get a behind the scenes look as to what PR firms do exactly within the art world. So today we're joined by Nina Plowman and Charlotte Heath Bullock, co-founders of Cultural Comms, an award-winning PR firm based in London, focused on the art world and other cultural sectors. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Nina and Charlotte, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So I think a great way to start is just to tell us a little bit more about cultural comms and really what a PR firm does exactly within the art world. Sure. So we launched cultural comms back in 2010. Um, my background was in the worlds of art and wine, um, and Nina was very much a luxury specialist. But I think where we came together was we could both see this great opportunity to marry the worlds of luxury and culture. Um, and we could see that luxury brands were starting to implement cultural collaborations in order to tell their stories. Um, and that often this was emphasizing their commitment to craftsmanship. And then in parallel, the art world was beginning to embrace the idea of cross-collecting um, and seeing how luxury brands could set consumers on this pathway to collecting, ultimately leading them to the art world and, and beyond. So for us, it was a really exciting time and a business concept about which we both felt really passionate. Um, our first and actually our only client at the time was Masterpiece London which, as you may know, was the first fair that really embraced cross-sector collecting um, and positioned contemporary luxury craftsmanship alongside the more traditional collecting categories. And I think where Masterpiece succeeded was to create an event in which visitors really wanted to spend time. You know, there were beautiful floral displays, there were premium pop-up restaurants, uh, it, there were a lot of celebrities visited, you know, it was all very glamorous. And as we know, the more um, the more time one spends in a in, in a fair one, any event, the more likely one is to to spend. So all of that glamour that the high net worth audiences loved, um, and then at the same time they were surrounded by the very best collectible objects. So you know everything from old masters, watches, jewellery, and in the early days even guns and vintage wines. So our role there was to to bring in brand collaborators. So those included people like brands like Bank of Canada, Vanity Fair, Savills, Ruinart Champagne, amongst others, and then with each brand creating their own cultural connection to the audience effectively but using um, culture as the vehicle and uh, and I think I speak for Nina say we still feel incredibly proud and privileged to have played a part in the creation of that concept but in in its sort of most basic form what we do is we help brands to tell their stories and when we do that successfully consumers really remember them and they really feel a sense of engagement and ultimately brand loyalty because of the values that we're communicating and it helps to consumers to connect with the brands and understand not just what it does, but why it does it. And that the why is really important. Um, and I'm going to quote the leadership guru, Simon Sinek, here, that people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. 
Um, so we engage, we'll try to, we hope to engage and inspire people through the stories we tell. And particularly through the art world, we get amazing stories. And just to give you a few examples, you know, in the past we've had a watch commissioned by Fred Astaire as a gift for Ginger Rogers after they finished work on a film. That came up for sale at an Olympia Antiques Fair some years ago. Um, back in 2019, we had this tiny little unassuming wooden box, but it was made from the wood of the barrel that brought Nelson's body back from the Battle of Trafalgar. And that was for sale at the La Parda fair and then more recently at TAFAF last month we had one half of a foundling card so when mothers had no other option but to abandon a newborn child a playing card would be cut in two one half would stay with the child and the other with the mother just in case they would be reunited in the years ahead um, so really emotive stories and these examples led to um, fantastic media coverage in Hello Magazine, the Today programme and the Financial Times respectively. But it's a very, so the media relations side of things is a very small part of what we do. Um, I'd love to share an example of our work with TAFAF, which is the European Fine Art Foundation. Um, and they have a really, really important philanthropic programme. And annually, TAFAF bestows grants on cultural institutions to fund the restoration of important works of art for the public benefit. And part of our role is to tell the story of that restoration. Um, so recently we teamed up with the BBC studios to record a series that traced the journey of, you probably remember the Beirut explosion in 2020, um, and there were some Roman glass fragments that were saved from the ruins of a museum in the aftermath of that terrible tragedy. And these were transported to the British Museum and there was a painstaking restoration taking place over months, restoring them back to their former glory and they then went on display at the British Museum. And this work was indescribably difficult and it was just such a joy to tell the story of those involved before the pieces went back on public display. And over the years we've built an incredible network of people with whom we've collaborated and part of, that's part of the reason our clients choose to work with us because the doors uh, we open for them are immense and uh, really helpful for them in growing their brands. So our work with American Express Centurion is a really good example of this. So for over 10 years, we've curated a cultural programme of rare experiences, enabling its ultra high net worth audiences to go behind the scenes to the most exclusive and also elusive brands and events imaginable. Um, and the partnerships partnerships that we can help clients to develop continues to be a really significant part of what we do. Charlotte mentioned earlier that just a small part of what we do is editorial. A huge amount of what we do is connecting through partnerships. Um, and one of those partnerships which underpins our business is obviously art and culture. So the medium of art helps brands to reach people and share a message, but it really isn't anything new. Um, for example, famously, uh, Chateau Mouton Rothschild, which is the holy grail of art in wine, has ri a rich history linked to art, um, and it's been creating a visual hallmark for its brand for art commissions for labels from the 1920s, engaging artists like Jean Carlu, Dali, Bacon, Freud, um, just a few of the most celebrated artists, artists that it's worked with, uh, and the latest of which was Peter Doig for its 2020 label. Um, but it's you know, it's one of the early brands demonstrating this fruitful dialogue that can happen between art, wine and art. And I think that's what really inspires us to propel business forward and something Charlotte and I are absolutely passionate about um, for cultural comms. So likewise, um, our former client, uh, which is at the Champagne House, Ruinar, uh, patronised the arts um, in a very early time, the 19th century, with its Art Nouveau 
artist um th- uh, uh who was a czech artist called alphonse mutcher uh and they commissioned uh him to produce the most stunning art nouveau advertisements which just drew the people in and today ruinar continues that legacy uh with an art annual art commission which is seen at basel and other fairs you've probably seen one of those commissions yourself um, with the latest of which focusing on biodiversity, which is when it gets really interesting when we move away from the literal lab- labelling of a partnership um, into uh, more symbolic um, touch points and patronisation of, of ideas. So art, nature and te- technology are really important symbolic pillars for Ruinar as a brand. And it goes much further than that too, because Ruinar um, is seen to nurture uh, artistic talent in the space and beyond this it takes ownership of the art fair agenda so when we go to an art fair of the color of art basel for example we we drink ruinar um, and it really has found a legitimate reason to be at the fair and it's very much deserving of its place and contributing to the artistic community it's not a uh, n- not taking but it's certainly giving to the community as well um but another way uh we work with brands is is uh objects that are seen of as works of art themselves uh, and worth celebrating for that very reason. So we have the joy and absolute privilege to work with Fabergé jewellery brand um, to create digital content. And actually this spring, we've been celebrating the first egg in this series of the Imperial Easter eggs, and it was called the Hen Egg, inspired by the 18th century original. and it's absolutely stunning and beautiful, which you can see on the Instagram channel right now. It's 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 um, enameled an enameled gold hen that once held a replica of the imperial crown with a precious ruby pendant egg within it. And the detail is so beautiful that you can get up close and personal to, to it, and the storytelling uh, and the historical referencing through social media and. It just has this incredible, meaningful connection with anyone looking at it. Well, certainly for me anyway. Uh, But the craftsmanship and artistry um, also allows us to remember and celebrate the original work that inspired inspired the jewellery pieces today by Peter Carl Fabergé himself. Um, They're really worth seeing. Um, But the language of art also supports our work with the Goldsmiths Livery Company, whose jewellers connect with a range of uh, collectors buying for art as well as enjoyment Um, and they communicate uh, we communicate sorry on behalf of uh, the the artist the the special quality and the artistry of the piece Uh, and you know for example some of them are wearable sculptures and a particular artist that I really love and wear is Jessica Jew who has a rhythmic movement to every piece that she creates Um, But connecting with art just helps build a brand's identity. It just makes it more human. It enables us to connect more closely uh, and align a brand with our own sensibilities and values. Um, And also it has this inimitable way of reaching uh, a global and diverse audience and speaking to to that audience in their own language. And a fantastic example uh, for me personally is Jesse Woolston's work. He's an artist represented by MT Art Agency, and he's making these incredible digital public art installations, one of which um, he produced at Shanghai Airport more recently, based on colour theory, 
where he recreates the swirls of the starry night of Van Gogh. And uh, it's just so incredibly arresting and something that we can all be part of and and engage with. It's quite an immersive experience in itself. Uh, he's also collaborating with Dior to produce a, a global um, piece of work later on in the year. So that's something to watch out for. But that sort of work translates um, into the digital space through video and um, visual uh, touch points and a really exciting way, particularly to engage with the younger generation uh, or otherwise known as digital natives. And so I think the art world is unique in many ways from different industries, but tell us from a PR perspective, how is the art world different from other perhaps less niche areas? Um, I think my feeling is that the art world is really united by this passion for ideas and this passion for craftsmanship as well. Um, now, visitors to the top art fairs around the world might gulp at some of the prices, but personally, I am yet to meet a gallerist who is who, who's chosen this career for the money. What they love is the intellectual challenge and that element of academic research. Uh, and the months or the years that are proving beyond doubt that the object they took a punt on um, really is what they thought it was. Uh, and there's a thrill when that hunch is right. You know, these, these these galleries spend months and months sort of researching, going around the world, engaging the, with the real experts. And it's a real sense of sort of awe and discovery um, that, that they achieve through this. And then there's the excitement of what the market makes of it. And then who's going to buy it? And is it going to a private museum? Is it going to a private collector? Or, 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 what, or whatever. Um, and in addition to that, I think also the art world is, is special for its inclusivity. You know, we, we operate at the very top end of the market. Obviously, you know, we, we're seeing pieces that are worth hundreds of thousands of, of pounds and dollars and, um, and, and often into many millions. But one doesn't need a vast budget to become a collector. I think what one needs is that a sense of curiosity, um, some determination, uh, time for sure, but also that desire to learn. Um, and every dealer or curator that we've ever had the pleasure to work with, um, I found genuinely enjoys talking about their works to, to interested um, people. Um, and it's really special to bring in new audiences to share in that. One of the initiatives that, that I'm particularly proud of years ago um, with an art fair, we initiated a school's outreach program um, and invited local state schools to bring groups of young children to the fair. And it was incredible you know, to see that sense of awe and wonder when they're up close to a Monet painting or, or, or something similar. And they're really beginning to understand what is so special about this. And wow, and not just that it's worth $10 million, um, but actually you know, the, 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 the artistry and the sense of history and storytelling. Um, that I find is something else. Um, the other, the other uh, thing I think worth mentioning is that art spans such breadth and means that it's impossible not to find some common ground with an audience. So you know, art touches on fashion, it touches on social history. We, uh, Nina, tr um, spoke about art, a jewelry as an art form um, in itself. And you know, I was in Geneva a couple of weeks ago, and there was the Watches and Wonders event on. Um, and to see how the watch world has brought its craftsmanship to the forefront of consumers' awareness is, is it's amazing what they've done as, a, as an industry. So I think the art world is a never-ending source of, of really rich material. And then the last thing that I think makes it special are the people, um, you know, the curators, the suppliers, the dealers, the collectors, and of course, there's a quite a lot of overlap between them. It's really an ecosystem and a community that's really united by this sort of love and appreciation of, of different art forms. Um, but it's actually the collecting mindset that drives cultural communications and beyond art itself. So 
this is where there are some real similarities that we borrow from art and move into other spaces. So we found that the motivations behind collecting art actually apply to other disciplines. So where uh, people are going to fairs and buying old masters to medieval man manuscripts, they're also exploring other passion points too and refining, refining and building collections in other areas. Most notably for us, wine and spirits, particularly single malt, malt whiskey, which more recently has dramatically risen um, in terms of value and, and volume at the rare end of the market. Uh, today, it's worth six billion pounds alone, uh, and that's set to rise several times over in the next five years. So it's not quite comparable with the global art market, but it's nonetheless growing hugely for financial reasons and passion investment reasons. So as rare stocks are released and that demand catapults, auction houses like Sotheby's are achieving these incredible high record sales. So in December 2021, we saw a, a record-breaking um, sale take place with one of our clients, uh, which sold a series of 1950s Glenfiddichs, which achieved a million pounds at auction. And this was actually the culmination of our positioning work that we had been doing for the private clients division of a family-run company called William Grant & Sons. Uh, and that was one of our first clients actually in the sector of single malt whiskey prior to the pan pandemic. So it was a long uh, standing client. We we segmented the audience for them and did a lang landscaping piece of work for them before the pandemic and uh, and that developed from there. So we took them on a journey for, for their ultra rare whiskey portfolio to help them identify and segment and just understand their audience a bit better. Uh, so we studied uh, the audience motivations of the collector with a real emphasis on the ultra high net worth in the global sphere, but particularly in Asia, where this collecting interest was really growing. China, too, where people's collecting habits go right back to the Ming dynasty. So what we found from that was that these collectors were galvanizing and developing taste constantly across all collecting disciplines, that they were driven to create a cultural legacy by sharing their collections as well. So we see in China in particular that private museums were a trend uh, and still continue to be. And they were also displaying their liquid collections in a similar fashion. Uh, there, there was also a huge culture of gifting, um, which means that their collections were so much more and go beyond uh, personal collecting because it's so inextricably linked with the great historical sense of pride and the soft power of giving in the Chinese culture. So it cannot be denied that the idea of transacting and the financial incentives of collecting are attractive in whiskey. Um, you can borrow against assets that not don't always have to be, you don't always have to be buying liquid. People are motivated by the return on investment to be gained um, at this time in particular, and they've been using uh, whiskey as a store of wealth as well. So that's that's clear. But the community garnered across this collecting area is really interesting because it's also united um, a group of people and their collecting interests by this mutual appreciation of the process of making, the craftsmanship, the artistry involved. Um, as well as the intellectual ideas applied to developing an ultra rare collectible. Um, 
but in addition to that are the the basic primal drives for collecting which were that geekism that desire for the one of one that fear of missing out that thrill of the chase this all applies and actually we've gone into this in some detail in our report that we're we've launched the nft report um that we'll we'll go on to talk about uh and a, a psychologist called dr shirley muella looks at uh in much more depth this idea of collecting behavior particularly in the nft space but away from collecting behaviors we're seeing similarities in the actual operation of art and the whiskey world so the product itself the the, the it's fine it's rare and in the rarest cases, once it's gone, it's gone. You know, that has a great affinity with the art world. Um, the gatekeepers, like art, are the advisors, the family offices, the auction houses. The influencers are very similar. They're, they're, in, they're wealth advisors, they're private bankers. Lawyers play their part as well. The fundamental difference, obviously, is that there isn't a museum or a, a gallerist or a dealer, but there is an expert merchant, merchant and advisor playing a role. Um, the problems are also very similar. There is a need in whiskey for regulation, um, verification of and of provenance needs to be tracked, and this is where the blockchain become can become really a helpful solution in the process. But the mindset of the buyer is ultimately very similar to that of art, driven by connoisseurship, legacy, sometimes that financial gain and and desire to to give back. Um, so similar codes of collection collecting apply um so it stands to reason that as with any collecting class as the demand increases there is this need to to regulate and find better methods for proving authenticity and and ownership and that's why the world of nft has provided a, a great platform for market disruptors there's a, an organization on the market at the moment called Blockbar, which allows consumers to purchase asset backed nfts to make li luxury liquid uh, collecting much safer, easier, and much more accessible. Um, but you know, it can't be denied that art has led the way here and, and, and whiskey is definitely following and learning from it. And so if we take a step even outside the art world, what trends are you seeing in the past few years from a broader PR perspective about the changes in the way that a brand connects with its audiences? You know, I would love to transport my team back 20 years when I started my, my career and we had dial up Internet um, and, um, you know, ISDN lines to send imageries. We sent transparencies out and when mail outs meant literally stuffing press releases in an envelope. I mean, it was just another world. And I mean, fast forward 20 years. It's extraordinary how it how it's um, sort of transformed. Um, I mean, obviously, we're consuming media in multiple forms. And I think the challenge for us is to identify which media which medium is going to make the biggest impact to our clients' businesses. Um, I mean, media is so broad now, but we need to be really highly targeted in the luxury, um, uh, in the luxury arena. Um, and I think also, you know, that the advent of digital art fairs has been a, a, a real change because, you know, whereas when we're working on art fairs, they would be a build up to the week of the art fair. 
now because of the really because of the pandemic has really fast forwarded this you know there are digital fairs that are year round and that's part of the brand they're creating um so it's not just for for a week plus we've had some we, we now have galleries selling more on instagram than they are in their galleries and that's sort of fast forward in a way the sad demise of the gallery um we've seen many people giving up their galleries and focusing more on selling on social media or at these fairs where they're bringing people together for um for a period of time I also think pace is a huge change. What used to happen in a, a month now happens in a matter of days. Uh, I think this idea of using the internet to transact in a in much more efficient manner and the emergence of Web3 is is just going to be phenomenal and change, change us out of all proportion. Um, and that's really exciting, but a very different world from, from the one that we even existed in three years ago. And so what are a few art world topics that you feel are presently at the top of mind for some of your major clients? Uh, definitely sustainability. Uh, I mean, it's not new, but it's a business imperative um, and it's an ever developing part of the art world, which for years hasn't been that sustainable. Um, and I think you know, there, there are various sort of um, elements at play here. And, you know, for years, Antiques brown furniture particularly has been really unfashionable. No, nobody wanted Granny's old card table gathering dust in the attic. But we're seeing a new generation of, of young people um, who are much more conscious of their carbon impact. And you know, clients such as uh, Rosebury's Auction House, they're seeing a surge in bidders buying through the secondary market for sustainability reasons, which I think is really interesting. And then alongside that, of course, all the major institutions have got sustainability targets. So that's helped um, TM Lighting to dominate the market for specialist art lighting with its LEDs. Uh, they don't emit harmful ultraviolet or infrared light, which accelerate fading and degradation in, in colour and pigments without wanting to get too technical. Um, so they have really um, benefited, if you like, from this drive for greater sustainability. But I think you know, one of the most exciting um, developments in sustainability, we're actually going to see that come over the summer and that's going to happen in the art shipping world with the launch of a fully recyclable crate hire business that has the potential to dramatically reduce packaging requirements for shipments of valuable objects and if you think you know, every art fair every um you know museum exhibition their shipping works for traditionally those crates would have been made just for um those works going to that destination that's all going to change with these new recyclable crates so i think this is something really exciting i can't really say more at this stage because it's very very new and it hasn't been launched yet but we're really excited to be involved in the launch over the summer so definitely watch this space and, and I think I alluded to this earlier but the changing ways in how consumers are acquiring works of art um, with many dealers giving up their traditional gallery model um, and the pandemic fast forwarding online sales. You know, today, collectors are they're entrepreneurs, they're C-suite executives, they're cash rich, but the time poor, and they want to see multiple objects under one roof. Um, so for us, I think this is where we see the art fair model playing such a critical role because it brings together the cream of the art world under one roof for a week or, or a week or two. Um, but sadly, the fair world is facing challenges. Um, Brexit has meant a diminishing number of international dealers prepared to undertake the burden of paperwork. Then there's the increased cost of shipping um, and, of course, inflation. So that's led to really quite a lot of art fairs, including Masterpiece, much to our utter dismay, um, closing their doors. Um, but what I would say is there is a glimmer of hope. You know, we, we, you know, we work with TAFAF and also the Lepada. So these organisations are dealer led and their fairs are effectively not for profit. 
So whereas I think that others will continue to falter in challenging times, I think that these will be the ones that dealers will choose because they've got longevity, experience um, and a sustainable business model. And lastly, before we let you go, Art Tactic recently published a report with you, Cultural Comms, called the Luxury Insights Report, Blockchain, NFTs, and the Future of Collectibles. If our listeners haven't checked it out already, they definitely should do so. It's free. Why was this something you wanted to do, and how are your clients reacting to some of the findings in the report? It was a a really interesting exercise to undergo with Anders, in particular, leading it from our, our tactic side. And it very much grew out of the curiosity that our clients clients had in this area. The fact that we found it very confusing, as did they. Um, it was evolving. Uh, they wanted to know more. We wanted to be able to tell them a little bit more, at least put them in touch with the right networks to be able to empower whatever they were thinking. And uh, we we essentially want always want to be uh, the guiding our clients to the best of our ability and improving our own understanding. So that was really the premise of um, exploring this area. Uh, we noticed this kind of uh, emergence of Gen Z and, and why um, interacting with the digital space, particularly uh, during and, and since the pandemic. And we saw that there could be some really interesting openings in the digital space for our clients, should they be able to learn and understand more about the world of NFT and the blockchain. Um, clearly, the digitization of the art market informed the ways in which this could look in the future. You know, art was there first. There's no doubt about that. Um, but this report really was designed to ask questions for our clients. So what are the opportunities for luxury brands in the world of NFT? How can we guide them? How can we... Um, uh, how can luxury brands access new audiences through NFT-led initiatives? What were the risks uh, to both buyers and sellers? Uh, what were the successful forays by luxury brands onto the blockchain? You know, ultimately, was this the emperor's new clothes or was it still worth invest investing in an NFT? And the findings were fascinating. Um, so our report... Uh, is broken down into four sections. We have 18 uh, incredibly erudite contributors, a combination of journalistic commissions, data and analysis from the many perspectives across the luxury market, from industry pioneers across art, watches and jewellery, wine and spirits, law and technology. The report looks at the application of the blockchain technology to traditional areas of collecting. We even have a psychologist in the mix as well, uh, talking about the modes of collecting and, and motivations of collecting in the NFT space. Um, so it really points to a, a new and improved um, NFT idea, bearing in mind that there have been mistakes, there have been problems, um, but there is huge potential for it, particularly in, in terms of the blockchain moving forward. Um, to give you an idea of who is contributing, we have the Fine Art Group, um, their NFT specialist, Greg, Greg Adams, Elena Zavalev, who's a Web3 expert, who's the co-founder also of Crypto and Digital Art Fair, which happens in May in uh, New York. Bernadine Brockovida, who's founded Arcuel, the first blockchain ecosystem built by the art community for the art, for the art community. Tom Grogan, who's a huge brain in setting up um, the tech uh, part of Mishkondorea. We also have 
petty cleave as well from Fladgate. So we do hope that you'll be able to dive in and read for yourself. You can find the report at culturalcoms.co.uk in the news section. And it's also available on Art Tactics' own download in the report section. And don't forget to follow us as well at Cultural Comms because there are various news and segments from the report coming up too. Yeah, absolutely. If our listeners haven't checked out that report yet, they definitely should. It's free. Nina and Charlotte, thanks so much again for coming on the podcast and sharing your unique PR perspective on everything going on in the art world. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Adam.